Isaiah chapter 54. If I I don't want to seem uh, morose or anything, but if I had, if this was going to be my last time to preach to you, I would want this to be the message. And I hope it's not. God forbid that. But uh, it will be the first time some of you will uh, perhaps visit this particular chapter in the light of how I would like to present it to you tonight the way the Lord has talked to me about it. But I believe it's very needed and necessary. Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 2. The commandment, the encouragement of the prophet Isaiah to his people was to enlarge the place of the tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not. Everybody say, fear not. For thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith the Lord. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about a needed vision, a needed vision. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know how many of you have ever taken the time to read the book of Isaiah, but most of us have read a few verses out of Isaiah because we quote them often. Uh, Many of the prophecies of the coming Messiah we, we draw out of the book of Isaiah. But what is important in reading the book of Isaiah is what Isaiah said in the very beginning, chapter 1 and verse number 1. I went back and read it again today, and this is what it said. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah. It was the vision of Isaiah that he saw concerning his people. It is important to understand that Isaiah lived in a very difficult time. And he lived during uh, a lot of upheaval. He actually served as a prophet under at least three kings. Two of them uh, were exceedingly wicked. One of them was Ahaz. 
One of them was Manasseh, and only one Hezekiah uh, was a king of any uh, any kind of reckoning, and even Hezekiah, in the end of his life, sold out his future and his children by exposing uh, Israel to the Babylonians and allowing them to see the treasures of Israel. So, to say the least, Isaiah lived in very troubling times. And it is important when you read what we read in chapter 54 that you read it in the context of what it is and that is a vision for his people. For in understanding the book, you understand that Isaiah's passion for his people and his passion for what God was going to ultimately do for them was based on that vision that he saw concerning his people. And it is reflected in his writings. The the writing of Isaiah is a contribution of Isaiah to his generation. When a lot of other things could have been written and a lot of other things could have been said, you will find in the book of Isaiah some of the most powerful promises and some of the most powerful assurances concerning God and his promises. Isaiah said, there is no weapon that is formed against thee that shall prosper. The the word of Isaiah said that my word will go forth and it will not return void. He, He assures us of a coming revival, though at the present moment the circumstances were anything but a revival. Isaiah lived in a very difficult time. There was a great deal of social evil very much like the day in which we live. He lived among people, and and I thought it was interesting when I read it again today, of what God said about Israel and his people from the beginning. He said of them in verse number 3 of chapter 1, he said, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass is master's crib, but Israel, or my people, doth not know, my people doth not consider. Two of the great complaints about uh, against Israel from Isaiah's perspective was that they did not know God, they didn't care to know about God. Evidently they had tried to divorce God from their thinking and their lives. What, a, what, what could I say more of how that reflects the day in which we now live. They didn't want to know about God. They didn't want to consider God. But that wasn't all that he said. He said a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children, listen to this, children that are corruptors. Uh, That's that's an accusation that startles me that when Isaiah looked, at Israel and the condition of God's people and the times in which we which they lived, they were laden with iniquity. They were corruptors. Anybody they got around, 
they pulled them down. They tore them down. They, 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 they made them worse than they were. They were sinful and they were headed to exile. They were headed to Babylonian captivity and the judgments of God were coming down on them. And what Isaiah saw was destruction. And you'll read in the first few chapters of Isaiah of the prophecies of destruction that were going to come upon Jerusalem. And not only that, there was going to be a fall of the Davidic uh, dynasty that David's rule over Israel and his posterity was going to be broken and uh, the king would be removed. And to say the least, they were in miserable conditions and it looked like the undoing of Israel. It looked at the moment or it looked under the circumstances to be the end of a people. They were headed in the wrong direction. They were going down without a fight. They, they, one, one part, I believe, of Isaiah, he writes about uh, Israel were, they, they were like a people that didn't even try. They, they didn't even make an effort. He said, you don't even flap a wing. You, you don't even make a sound that you allow the enemy to come in and you allow the enemy to destroy. They were such a weak people. They, they had no character. They had no sense of, uh, of right and wrong. They had no sense of what should be proper. They called light darkness and darkness light. What, what a parallel to the day in which uh, we live. It was difficult and, uh, and it was extremely discouraging, no doubt, uh, to see all of that and to try to absorb all of that. And uh, I, when I got to thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I thought about all of the negative garbage that we are bombarded with on a daily basis and all the negativity about our country and about, and we are in a mess. We, we are broke. We're, we're financially at a place of bankruptcy as a nation. And we have a government and a Congress that has done less in this term than any Congress in recent history. They have passed fewer legislative bills. They have come together on fewer agreements but yet they have been responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars of waste. Our country is in a mess. And you hear that every day. You, you turn the radio on and whether you're a conservative or you're a liberal, you can get it from every corner and it's yeah, yeah, this and yeah. And all of that stuff and you listen to that and you hear that and you take it home and you go to bed with it and you get up with it. And you realize we're, we are in a pickle. We're in a mess as a country. And we're going down. We're going, as the proverbial saying goes, we are going to hell in a handbasket. And we're going at record speed. We're, 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 we're going all out in the wrong direction. And it's so easy in times like that to allow the culture and allow the circumstances around you to determine the atmosphere in which you are going to live. And Isaiah battled that. Isaiah fought with that. He battled those issues. And 
And the interesting thing is there were many other voices that were speaking in that hour. And if you read the book of Isaiah, you'll hear him referencing them as false prophets. Isaiah was not the only preacher around. There were a lot of other preachers that were standing in the pulpit and they were saying, oh, don't listen to that old man over there. He's just a negative windbag. He, well, you know, we got prosperity. Everything's good. Everything is lovely. And there were those voices that, that ignored what was happening. And many of them encouraged the sin that was going on. They, it's okay. You know, you're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. That's kind of the culture of our our religious world right now. Nobody, there's no such thing as sin anymore. As a matter of fact, most churches in America don't even mention the word sin anymore. Everybody's okay. Everybody's going to heaven. You can be a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You can cheat, lie, steal, commit all kind of atrocious sin, and everybody's going to the same place. That's the culture in which we live And there are those voices. He wasn't the only one addressing the hour. But oh, what a difference his voice made. And oh, what a difference what Isaiah saw and what Isaiah prophesied compared to what others were saying. The words that fell from his lips, they were those that had come from one who had newly seen God. He There is no doubt in my mind that when Isaiah first felt the call and God began to push him toward the direction of being the prophet that he would become, that he felt the same despair that others felt because if it were not so, you wouldn't have Isaiah chapter 6 because in Isaiah chapter 6, he said it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Before that time, all Isaiah had been able to see was what everybody else saw. We're going down. We're bankrupt. We're morally bankrupt. We're financially bankrupt. We're spiritually bankrupt. And, and all that was being done to, 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 to encourage that, he, he felt the same pull until he went into the house of the Lord and it was there that he saw a new vision. It was in the house of God that his eyes were open and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And from that moment on, Isaiah's message began to change. Though he spoke of the doom and he spoke of what was coming, he also filled in the, the gaps with words of hope an encouragement and a promise that God had not forsaken his people. And so when he came out from the house of God, he had a a new vision. He saw God in a new light and he saw the power of God, the train filling the temple uh, that was symbolic of the power of the king and he filled the whole house and, and it was the influence was everywhere. And not only that, Isaiah realized the power of his own faith. That God has given me something to believe in and hold on to and live by. And whether it looks like it or not, if you will hold on to that, it will help you. It will see you through the darkest hours. And don't throw your faith away. Don't compromise your faith. However black and dark the hour, keep holding on to your faith 
because your faith is going to see you through. Your faith is what's going to get you through all of this and get you into a better situation. And all of that came because Isaiah caught a vision of God. It could and it would stand the test he found because God visited him. Many were down on the times. Many were thinking that it would never get better. Many were thinking that things would never change. Many were saying that we're stuck in this mess and this is just the way it's always going to be. But while others were prophesying the doom, he began to speak a different message to Israel. He could have caved in like everybody else. He could have become a naysayer like the rest of them. But he didn't. He chose to believe what he saw in the house of God. Listen to me tonight, church. When God shows you something in his house or he shows you something in his word, you can take it to the bank. You can live on it. You can sleep on it. You can get up in the morning and go on it because that word will not return void. And so in 54 of Isaiah, Isaiah began to prophesy his vision to his people. He began to speak to them. This is how you're going to recover from bad time. This is how you're going to get over a broken life or a broken heart or a broken mind or a broken spirit. This is how you're going to recover from hurt. This is how you're going to recover from sin. This is how you're going to recover from a messed up life. This is how you get back on your feet and you get back going. That's the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 54. What he said to Israel was very important. And there are three things that God showed me that just have excited me today about responding to the negative times in which we live and the negative times in which some of you are living. Some of you are going through the worst time of your life right now. God gave me a word for you on this Wednesday night. And that word is going to help sustain you. It's going to keep you on your feet. It's going to keep you going because that word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose that God sent it for. And if you'll hang on to it, it'll take you through whatever you've got to go through. It'll get you through it all. And somebody said, amen. amen. And this is what God showed me. Number one, Isaiah's prophecy to his people was, don't be satisfied with your brokenness. Don't be satisfied with your barrenness. Don't be satisfied with your emptiness. Isaiah could have been like all the other doomsdayers and he could have given up and he could have given in and he could have said, it's never going to change. It's always, you, you, you made this bed, now you've got to live in it. You did all this, now you've got to endure it. You crawled into that bed when it was on fire, so don't claim about getting burned. And, 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 and that was what a lot of them were saying and a lot of people were thinking. But Isaiah said, hey, listen to me. Oh, barren woman, you're going to sing again. Listen to me, woman, or listen to me, church, or listen to me, person. Don't be satisfied with your brokenness. Don't look around your life and say, well, it's, you know, I messed up and 
And I've messed up before, but this is the mess up of all mess ups. I'm never going to get out of this. You have to be willing to see that there is something beyond the present brokenness. And you've got to realize that God still has a plan. Even when you mess your plan up, God still has a plan for your life. And God, if you get back in tune with Him, God will bring you back in alignment with His plan and He'll show you how to get out of that mess. And it starts with you have to be... You, you cannot be satisfied with your brokenness. You cannot be satisfied with what's wrong and say, well, this is it. I'm doomed. I made a mistake. I I, I did this or I did that and I got to live with it. Listen to me, folks. There's a better way of living than that. And God said there's a way out. And instead, he believed God was still able to make something out of all that he was going through and the mess that they were in and get them to the other side. You know what God sent me tonight to tell somebody? Don't be satisfied with your hurt. Don't be satisfied with your loss. Don't be satisfied with littleness. Don't get into this mentality, this smallness, this contraction, this retrenchment in life where you just pull everything in and you hunker down and and you just wait until the end comes. You need to get up. You need to realize God didn't make me for this. God didn't make me to be broken. God didn't make me to be busted and disgusted. God didn't make me to be little. He didn't make me to live a loser's life. He didn't make me to be hurt all the time. I don't need to be fearful. I don't need to be mean-spirited. I don't need to be tight-fisted. I need to wake up and realize... I don't want to be satisfied with this brokenness. That's where it begins. I don't want to be satisfied with this brokenness. Number two, you have to have a vision of a better future. You have to realize that things can get better. As bad as it may seem, there's hope in God. And if you have a vision of a better future... It will affect not only your present, but your future. If you're not careful, you and I can develop a chicken little mentality. And we can go through life running around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I have a dear friend that is very much of that personality. And my Lord, you call him sometimes and you would think the Antichrist was already on the throne and and uh, just going from bad to worse. Hey, you know what? You need to get a better vision of the future and of your life than that. You may be messed up right now, but that doesn't mean God's messed up. And God still has a plan for me. I believe I'm still His child and I still belong to Him. And I'm telling you tonight that a right vision can pull you out of a stall. A right vision can pull you out of a slump. A right vision can pull you out of difficult times. In difficult times, only a vision of such that Isaiah saw will get you through. And what Isaiah saw was a better future. Everything's not going to stay like it is. It's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this dark. It's not always going to be this hard. It's not always going to be this troublesome. It's not always going to be this difficult. Amen. The right vision 
can change the day. A vision can set in motion things that will change everything. Listen to me. William Carey in the 1800s preached a sermon from this text in Nottingham. And it marked an epoch in the history of Christianity. Up until that point, the Christian church had not been a church of missions nor a church of evangelism. They grew, but it wasn't because there was a thrust to go out into the world and preach the gospel. But when William Carey began to preach on this text and he began to expound on what God wanted for them, it aroused the church of Christ at that moment and and they felt a sense of responsibility for the conversion of the heathen and evangelism was spawned. The spirit of evangelism came into that church body and it was actually the beginning of the formation of the first missionary society known in the Christian world. The Baptist Missionary Society was formed because of the awakened uh, spirit of those people from the vision and the sermon that had been preached by William Carey and it ushered in an evangelistic era where we go out into the highways and the byways and we compel them to come in and it redefined, it brought revival around the world and they began to raise money. The priceless blessing that came because one man caught a vision. One man through a sermon saw a better day and he saw a church reaching out beyond its borders. I'm here to tell somebody tonight that a vision can change your life. And if you don't have one tonight, you need to get on your knees and pray until God gives you a fresh vision of what you can be and what he said you can become. As bad as things are, they're not always going to stay that way. Look up, look around, start expecting something because God is about to do something great in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so this is the this is the motto that the Baptist mission adopted from the sermon that William Carey preached from Isaiah 54. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Amen. Attempt great things for God. Enlarge. Isaiah said enlarge. Stretch, lengthen, strengthen. And then he said, expect great things from God. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 3, he begins to speak about what God would do. He said, burst forth on the right and on the left. Look for and expect restoration. Restoration of joy, restoration of fruitfulness, restoration of the song in your heart. This vision and sermon Turn the tide for missions and a vision can turn the tide in your life as well. Amen. Somebody needs a fresh vision of a better future. Somebody say a better future. Amen. If you don't have it, you need to pray until you get it. And thirdly, Isaiah told Israel, he, he encouraged, he challenged them to get up and get busy. You know how to get out of a stall? 
You know how to pull out of a slump. You know how to get over a hard time in your life. Quit crying about all that's wrong. It hurts, I know. But somewhere you have to get up and get busy again. Somewhere you have to say, you know what? As bad as it is, God's not through yet. Don't give way to the negative attitudes of the day. Though you may be heart sore, look, God is still alive. And that's what Isaiah found, that in the midst of all that was wrong, God was still alive and on the throne. And so Isaiah said, you need to get up and you need to get busy. And these are the words of recovery that you need to make part of your vocabulary. There's four of them. First one is the word enlarge. He said, enlarge the place of thy tent. That means increase. Everybody say increase, not decrease. Not pulling in the cords of your life and hunkering down for the end. But he said, it's time for you to increase. It's time for you to develop. Broaden your vision. Broaden the scope of your life. Make room for growth. Everybody say enlarge. That's what we need around Greater Life Church is enlargement. We need to get our eyes open to where we see a bigger field than we've ever seen before and we see better possibilities than we've ever seen before. The second word of recovery is spare not. Everybody say spare not. Don't be stingy. Don't be tight-fisted. Be lavish. Lavish in your prayer. Lavish in your worship. Lavish in your faithfulness. Lavish in your commitment. The absolute worst thing that you can do in bad times and difficult times is to pull in the cords of your life and just wait for the end to come. Now is time to enlarge. Now is time to spare not. Come on, break those emotions open again. Some of you have been hurt so bad you don't know if you can ever feel again. But I'm telling you, you need to open up your heart and say, God, help me live again. Help me live like I've never lived. Help me live at another level than I've ever lived at before. Help me to know the power of your spirit fresh in my life. And help me to not be stingy and mean-spirited. Help me, God, to have a free spirit, to be lavish in prayer, lavish in worship, lavish in faithfulness, lavish in loving people, lavish in caring for people. Somebody say, spare not. Come on, we need to loosen the purse strings. Some of them got them so tied up, so tight, you got it so puckered that you, you ain't ever going to get a smile on your face until you loosen the strings up a little bit. Praise God. I remember Brother Marcus used to say every time he would receive an offering, he would pray over that offering. and He would say, God, remind us that the hand that is closed too tight to give is closed too tight to receive. Somebody needs to open your hands up. You need to loose the strings, not only of your purse, but of your spirit and your heart. You need to believe again. You need to have, you said, Brother Hughes, I've been hurt too bad. I understand that. But somewhere you've got to get to a point where you realize 
that it's still, it's as bad as I'm hurt, it's not the end of my life. Or as bad as things are, it's not the end of my life. God still has a future for me. And I don't want to be stingy in this hour. I want to enlarge. I don't want to be stingy. I want to be open. I want to be free. I want to be able to receive. And I want to be able to give because that's God's will for my life. The third word of recovery is the word lengthen. Everybody say lengthen. That means stretch. Everybody say stretch. Some of us haven't stretched in so long, we'd probably pop a tendon or two, but we need to get on the meal. We need to get on that exercise meal and start stretching some muscles. We've been so contracted and so caught up in one little... It's amazing that how easily your muscles can contract and become almost resistant to any kind of movement because you don't use it, you don't work it, you don't do what you used to do with it. And I, I was laying on a uh, doctor's table this week and he was trying to move some parts of my body that felt like they hadn't been moved in 10 years. And I'm feeling the pain of it and all of a sudden I realize that's what happens to all of us if we're not careful. Things happen in life. We get hurt or, or we go through hard times or this comes or that comes. And instead of continuing to stretch and intend to, instead of continuing to exercise ourselves, our faith, our spirit, we start pulling in. We start closing down. We shut the windows. We close the doors. We don't let anybody get near us. And then when we, 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 we get a little inspiration, we try. It hurts too much. Well, you know what they told me? It's going to hurt before it gets better. So quit crying or hurting about your hurt and start getting better. That's what the doctor told me. He, he said, you're, it's not going to be fun, but you've got to stretch it. If you'll stretch it, it'll get back its elasticity. It'll get back its mobility. If you'll do what you ought to do and what you know to do, you can get back where you want to be. Amen. Some of us don't really believe that because we like being where we are, maybe. But I want to enlarge. I don't know about you. I, I don't believe the naysayer. I don't care who wins the presidency. I, I know we're all worried about that, but it doesn't matter if if Peanut's character, if, if, if Charlie Brown gets elected. You know what? It, it doesn't matter because they're not determining my destiny. They're not determining my future. Amen. Oh, that's, that's right. The Lord is the one that sets kings and dominions in place. And he'll pull down whoever he wants to pull down. And he will allow to go up whoever he wants to allow to go up. Because it's all part of his plan. So, you know, whatever. We, we like to talk about it. We gripe a lot about it. And we, we have our words and, and our, 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 our thoughts about it all. But the truth is... I want to see what Isaiah saw in difficult times, in bad times, in tragic times. I want to understand that recovery is still an option. Amen. Recovery is still an option. I can get over this. I can get beyond this. I can become a better person and to do that you've got to lengthen you've got to stretch amen you've got to grow you've got to reach you've got to send something out amen 
Oh, I know you'd shout and run on these, but that's all right. The fourth word of recovery is the word strengthen. You can't lengthen unless you strengthen. So nail down what you believe and don't ever let that change. Drive it deeper into the ground because that's what's going to help keep you stable through all of this. Amen. Four words of recovery. Enlarge, spare not, lengthen, strengthen. If those words would become a part of our vocabulary and we would begin to speak those words over our life and over our situation, God, I'm going to increase. I'm going to broaden. I'm going to develop. I'm going to make room. I'm not going to be stingy. I'm going to be lavish. I'm going to open the windows of my soul. I'm going to open the mind and the spirit to the things of God. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to lengthen I'm going to reach out. I'm going to send some stuff out. Amen. Some of us, well, I better not go there, but we need to send out some good stuff. Amen. And strengthen, nail it down, drive it deep. When you are trying to recover from a fall, from a bad time, from a tragedy, here is the secret to rising again. Amen. This is the secret to rising again. You have to never be satisfied with your brokenness. You can never be satisfied with your loss. You must get a vision of a better life. And you've got to get up and get busy. Amen. You've got to get up and get busy. Enlarging, sparing not, strengthening, lengthening, and revival comes. Amen. Paul said in Ephesians, and I'm closing, he said, redeem the time for the days are evil. Strange way of putting it, but a powerful truth. We think of time as hours and minutes, but the word literally translated from the Greek means opportunity. It doesn't often come that we associate opportunity with evil, but Paul did. Paul said, the worse the times become, the better your opportunities are. Amen. Redeem the time. Buy the opportunities. Seize the moment. You say, Brother Hughes, it's too evil. It's too wicked. We're never going to be any better. We're never going to get any better. It's not what the Word said. It's not what Paul said to the Ephesians. It's not what Isaiah said to Israel when they were in As bad a slump, if not worse than what we are right now. He said, open your eyes. Sing, O barren woman, thou that didst not have child. You need to enlarge your tent because there's a revival coming. There's an enlargement that's on its way. God's not through working with us yet. This is not going to, we're not going to whimper our way out of this world. I don't believe that God is coming after a church that is bedraggled and barely making it through these last hours. I believe he's coming after a church that's on fire, a church that's ready and watching. I don't believe we're going to barely drag through. I believe we have a promise of the greatest revival the church has ever known still before us. Amen. I wish I had more of you that believe that. The greatest revival is still before us. You say, Brother Hughes, I don't see that. Well, then you need to get on your knees and you need to pray until you do see it. 
Brother Hughes, I don't see my life getting any better. Well, then you need to get on your face, get into the house of God, get to the altar, and stay there until you see him so high and lifted up that that's all you can see. His train filled the temple. It pushed out all the other negative stuff. It pushed out everything else that was worrying and crowding the mind of Isaiah. And all that he saw was the Lord high and lifted up. And he realized, you know what? He still is in control. Amen. Babylon can keep babbling, but God's going to have the last say. Amen. Manasseh, you can be as corrupt as you want to be, but God's still going to have his say. Amen. I don't know about you, but I just feel like something good is about to happen. I feel like something good is about to happen. I feel like something good is on its way. I, I believe that the way we recover from bad times and falls and tragedies and heartbreaks and disappointments is to have a vision of a better future and not be satisfied with our brokenness or our losses and realize that it's time to get up and get busy. Amen. Somebody stand with me right now. Oh, that I could inspire somebody tonight to get a vision. Amen. I could inspire somebody tonight to get a vision. Amen. To get a vision. To get refocused. 